0: Hello, welcome back to the Keys Coach Podcast. My name's Adam, and this is the podcast where I sit down with piano, keys, and synth players and talk about all things music. This is a Christmas special, and it's a two-parter. In this episode, I sit down with a really good friend of mine, Simeon Smith. He's a keys player, arranger, teacher, and we chat about all things Christmas, keys playing, harmony, music theory. It's just a good old chat during this episode we also share some highlights from some of our favorite moments on the podcast so far so sit back relax pour yourself a nice christmas drink of some description and enjoy this episode of the keys coach podcast christmas special part one simeon thanks so much for coming on the podcast
1: thank you for having me
0: it's christmas special
1: christmas special wow i'm i'm honored
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well I just thought it'd be great because basically for everyone who's listening, I work with Simeon. Uh, I haven't really spoken a huge amount of it about it on the podcast. Um, but I work at this place called Trinity Laban, and we, we but we both work on the popular music course together and I met Simeon through there. Um so yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. what you teach actually there, Simeon? That'd be really cool.
1: Um yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I um I I joined at the, the beginning of, of this academic year in September. Um, and I teach on the musicianship course primarily, which is kind of, um, I guess it's sort of, uh, theory and practice maybe. Is that a sort of decent summary of what, what we do? Um, yeah, kind of playing, playing uh, examples, kind of learning through doing, I suppose. And, and we kind of look at music theory from all kinds of different perspectives. Um, lots of performance as well involved, um, lots of oral skills, this kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's been an amazing journey actually, um, being being a part of that that team and sort of working with the with the students at Trinity because they're slightly uh you know they they're different maybe to some of the students that I've I've taught before and so it each I think the as a, on a personal level which I suppose is sort of the order of the day a little bit with these kind of podcasts it's just always such a an enormous pleasure to learn from new new kinds of students and to enrich your own practice and your own knowledge through through that and I'm certainly learning a huge amount about how, how we conceptualize music and how we sort of think about things like learning by ear, um, how to sort of em- yeah. embody music theory, which is so often sort of this lofty uh, concept that exists in on the page but actually how do we embody that and um, and, and, and everybody does it in such a kind of unique way, um, which is yeah fascinating really. So I, I've absolutely loved being, being on the team and I think it's it's going amazing places the whole the, the course generally
0: yeah it's it's been it's been pretty fun setting it up and everything it's been it's been good and it's just it's just amazing to see so many students um but yeah we're we're here to talk about you and i the reason why I asked you on this podcast is because um every time I see you at work or something we bump into each other you've always just listened to one of the episodes and yeah. I think you've you've heard so many of the episodes. I think you might be one of the only people that listen to like all of them, so I'm so grateful for that.
1: I have listened to all of them yeah um it's i mean, I've absolutely honestly love loved it. it's It's kind of been my threshold, I think, from home to work because I have quite a long commute because I live um an hour and a half away from from Greenwich. um and so I kind of use i I have to get up fairly early. so I use the podcast as a way of transporting myself spiritually and emotionally into the sort of <laughs> the the world of of right you know, music education, shall we say, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, oh, it's, I'm really
0: pleased, man. It's so it's good. Been, thank yeah. you for li- Thank you so much for listening.
1: It, it's, it's been fun. Um,
0: but I just thought it'd be great to get you on and just chat about... Well, the plan is, is it's a Christmas special, so I think this is going to go out on... Let me have a look at my calendar. The 21st, 21st of December. Yeah. So it's feeling pretty Christmassy already. It kind Can of you is, but it? I
1: feel... Yeah, where, where, are my, where are my sleigh bells? I don't actually think I've got any to hand. They're somewhere... Um, but but uh, that's a shame. But it, it's I'm still feeling really in the absence of sleigh bells. I'm still feeling getting there Christmassy. Yeah, it's um yeah. I've, yeah just just come out of a fairly sort of hectic period, and so actually the thought of just sitting in front of a fire with a you know a glass of uh, Lafroig or something and just just f- oh yeah nice and and just well just getting absolutely wasted is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What do you normally do for Christmas? What's your what's your normal like setup for for Christmas day?
1: Oh gosh, wait. Well, it's a really, it's a family affair, really. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm 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 a, quite close with with my my immediate and extended family. And so I kind of we have like a oh, you do all the usual things, really. Um standard turkey, who gets to to carve, um you know, presents. So we, we never. I tell you what, we've never done. We 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 kind of do family presents, which is great. We don't do the thing where you applaud each present, um, but it's almost right. that formalized. And you kind of. But we can't open our presents in the morning. You know, so you come over about I don't know to a family, family home. Everybody gets a, around ten or or something like that, and um, you can't open the presents till after dinner. Yeah. What actually? I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of flip it and ask you. Um, what you do for Christmas because I often I tell you what I often feel when I'm listening to the podcast I absolutely love all the stories um, from from all the guests and it's been so sort of enlightening to kind of hear their story and to relate to it on lots of different levels but I've always I I always think in the back of my mind oh I wonder what Adam's story is with regards to this kind of stuff so yeah so let me interrogate that
0: is thats you're not the first person to have said that actually I've had that feedback from a few people so I think I've got to find a yeah, I've got to find a way to make that happen more. That's more of a... Um,
1: it's almost like you need somebody to interview you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that has also been suggested. It's all it's all, it's all, all in the plans. It's all in the plans um, well, exactly. which are emerging. But yeah, I think uh, you're, you're right. A few people have said that. But in terms of my Christmas, um, well, I've, it's always sort of been going back to my mum and dad's house, which is in Portsmouth, uh, and I've got two brothers. And I think Christmas is going to be quite different this year because my brother has just well a a year ago has had a a baby
1: Um,
0: and this is our first christmas all to kind of together as a family so that's going to be quite nice congratulations adam's yeah that's very nice yeah whatever he is (laughs) yeah yeah she's called grace and she's absolutely lovely so that's going to be quite nice Um, i'm
1: sure she's an avid listener to the podcast already (laughs) she's really into
0: music apparently every time i see my mum and dad who have seen her you know, they're like, she loves music. She loves this. So I think they've even got like this little keyboard thing so I can play a nursery rhymes. Oh, that's at great. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I don't know if nursery rhymes are the thing anymore. I guess they are with young kids, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, a friend of mine had a baby uh, a few years ago and I bought, I bought her a little xylophone thing um, you know in in a a kind of crazy attempt to gain perfect pitch because of course you can actually from early exposure to the pitches and to music you can actually sort of learn perfect pitch I think they've almost demonstrated that haven't they I I don't know Uh, but I I think it's like I didn't know that I think it's one of those things you can acquire from a, from a young age um if if you're exposed in in the right way and so my my kind right. of devious plan was to sort of give this baby a, a xylophone that would then sort of an, enable her to associate the the sort of you know it's got a big letter a on one of the keys and to associate that with the with the pitch but um actually what i found is when it arrived from amazon that it was completely out of tune it was sort of a equals for one no it's a random number not 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 even kind of vaguely in tune so so i think that's destroyed her her possibilities for that um
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's mad i didn't know you could learn perfect pitch that's i I think i know some people that have tried because i've got it yeah Yeah,
1: yes i know you you
0: i might have spoken about this on i forget what i've said but i probably would choose not to have it
1: that's so interesting
0: i could can i ask you why it well it's it's quite complicated Basically, the way I describe perfect pitch, and I think people have different levels of perfect pitch. Mm. So I have the level of perfect pitch where I can hear, I, basically the, the sort of basic level. I, I can hear a note and I know what it is. I can hear several notes and know what they yeah, are. Yeah. I don't have the sort of, I'm not an expert on this at all, so I'm kind of like making up my own levels. But there, I, there are some people that have the level where they can be like, oh, that is uh, 14 cents flat yeah, or yeah, 14 yeah, yeah.
1: cents sharp. Of I don't have that
0: at all. Yeah, exactly. Now that, I cannot imagine what that must be like to live with because it's bad enough knowing what notes things are. Well, yeah, that must so be it that, that must be crazy. And there's also a level as well where you kind of, you see different colours as well, but that's a that's like synesthesia, so that's like a yeah, slightly yeah. separate thing. But I would choose not to have it because the, the, the way I describe perfect pitch for anyone who doesn't have it is if you look at a, try and look at a word, just find a word in front of you somewhere and look at that word without reading it
1: yeah <laughs> okay yeah I've just tried it not easy you can't do it no
0: you can't basically you can't look at a word without reading it
1: no yeah yes yeah there's a whole kind of it's impossible there's a whole kind of body of philosophy about that like Heidegger and like whether you see something as something specific or you see it as an object sort of in isolation yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a crazy thing um I, I that's so interesting actually
0: so what happens when I listen to a piece of music and I've, I've only really realized this in the last few years is that I will hear what notes are being played before I think, oh, that's a really beautiful piece of music.
1: Yeah. So, it's so like, there's like this
0: extra like cognitive and I can't turn it off.
1: Yeah. That's so interesting.
0: I sometimes think, oh, wouldn't it just be amazing to listen to a piece of music and not really know what's going on, not know what note that was, not know what key it's in, not be thinking in this kind of way and just hear it, hear it as a piece of music. But I actually can't, I can't turn it off. So I can't really ever do that. What I'd really love to have was really good relative pitch.
1: Mm. Which I'm sure you also have.
0: Which you also kind of have by default, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what? You, how? What's your relationship with all that kind of stuff? Perfect pitch well, and I, relative pitch. I,
1: I have an interesting story about it, really, because because I, I yeah. don't have perfect pitch, no. But I did as a child, um, and I did in relation to a very specific piano um, that I grew up with in, in in our family home. It was a nineteen thirties German upright piano um I, wow. I honestly actually i could ask ask my parents i honestly don't know where we got it from um it was it was mats not a, not a mate that i've ever come across since but it was a per, okay. it was an exa- exactly a semitone flat and i started piano when i was really little i started um when i was four um or even three and a half i think i was four um and yeah. uh I, and I, I i gained it um on that piano So I had, for for most of my childhood, up until I really started listening to recorded music properly in my kind of teens, I had perfect pitch for that that tonality, which was a sort of faulty uh, C equals B kind of tonality, if you can kind of imagine that. So you saw, you heard, um, you heard a B and that was C to you. So, so you, so. But, but I, I can go into more detail about that because I think the whole thing is about embodiment in in sort of your instrument. But what kind of happened is is as I got older, it became more and more faulty. Whereby actually I would confuse pitches um, normally at the semitonal level, um, and, right. and 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 now actually it's pretty much. Although it it's it's. It does sort of have revenant. Uh, you know, reappears in, in, in at, at certain points, but it's basically gone. In funny ways, um, it's it's a strange yeah. one because you know, I've I've read also that sort of Beethoven had perfect pitch, um, you know, and he wrote the Ninth Symphony in D minor. But by the time he wrote it, he was deaf, and so actually right. he, he probably imagined it in his mind in in C sharp minor because oh, okay. your perfect pitch often goes flat as you get older. I don't know what the theory is, it? is behind of, behind that but it oh, kind blimey. of flattens as it
0: I Can't wait for that.
1: It's a, it's a, because <laughs> I, I don't honestly don't know how you I've actually wanted to ask somebody about this at, at certain points because I don't know how you conceptualize a recording that actually isn't in a standard pitch. I mean then there are tons of Well this things.
0: is this is what's interesting for me. So this is why I'm so grateful that I have the per, the the sort of tight level of perfect pitch that I do have because I actually can't really tell when something's sharp or flat. Right. Okay. That's what's so weird as well. Yeah. So or I know it's sharp or flat because I'm like, oh, that's weird. I can't actually work out what note that is, and then it's like, oh right, it must be sharp or flat.
1: Away from yeah, so d- so it kind of away writes, from the. Ac- I see, yeah. so it kind of just confuses you at that point, and but you can tell roughly where where it is. I but... can
0: tell roughly where it is, but I'll I'll think, okay, this sounds like it's either an E flat or E. That's really weird. Why can I not? T-? And I think, yeah, oh right, I it see. must be oh, like a, a sharp E flat yeah, or flat that is e fascinating. Flat. It's a weird. It's a weird. It's a weird thing that is also incredibly useful for the sort of work I do. Um,
1: yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like I do you know, loads sure. of
0: stuff with choirs and I've got to transcribe loads of things. Or if I've got to learn material quick, it's so helpful. Like I can sit down and just write a chart out and yeah. be 100% sure that those are the right chords.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, remember, I mean, uh, our, one of our colleagues, Joe Townsend, He he often has little anecdotes about people that he likes to tell right. I, I get this sort of idea oh, that God. he has a repertoire um, and one that he always says about you is that you're just amazing at transcribing big band charts he's like well adam's just got this incredible ear and he can just transcribe everything you know so, <laughs> I, I dread to think yeah. what, what repertoire he's gaining about me uh, what yeah, he's saying <laughs> he'll have a little anecdote
0: about you as well i'm sure but For yeah you. no it's, yeah. it is really useful and it's something that ha- has been useful in the past but yeah i'd love to be at a i'd love to be at a flicker flicker switch. T- look, tell yeah. me about you. What, how did you get into the piano in the first place? I mean, we're, the, the plan with this podcast was basically to do some little clips of the favourite bit of the podcast. But it was, wasn't <laughs> it? Yeah. I'm quite enjoying just chatting away with you we're at the moment. So in we'll see what happens. Way. Maybe we'll come some clips in a bit. Yeah, because
1: um, it all kind of ties in, doesn't
0: it? It all ties in. Yeah. What, so what, what's your journey been with the piano? How did you actually, because I know you're big into classical music as well, and that's been a huge part yeah. of what you've done as well.
1: Yeah, You kind of I tread mean,
0: both sides of it.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's a fairly, fairly good way of describing it. Because I, because I, I, I actually have a sort of, I th- I mean, it's a pathway that certain people have, um, but you only meet them every so often, which is kind of essentially learning classical music, but by ear. Um, and oh, so right, it's right. kind of straddles the the boundary between the two. Uh, it's basically, it's sort of like the Suzuki method is it's how I began. So I started, um, I did that. Did you?
0: That's, yeah, I did the Suzuki method. Yeah, oh, I that's didn't realise
1: really... that. That actually, yeah. that explains a lot. So did you start when you were like four?
0: Oh, no, I was later, but I got taught by someone that taught the Suzuki method. I don't, do you know what? It's incredibly ignorant. I don't really know what the Suzuki method is. I'm not sure I, anyone does. I, do they not? Okay, it's, it's,
1: I think it's quite a roundabout philosophy. Of I, I wouldn't I, look. Right. I, I'm absolutely not even vaguely an expert on this at all. So I wouldn't like to speak for for the Suzuki Institute of of Great Britain or whatever the heck it's called. Yeah. Um, but um, it, that's kind of how I started. And obviously, when you're that age, you're you're sort of plumped down in front of a piano, and you just have to kind of do it and 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 you kind of listen to the tapes and and you have to it's it's all about the listening thing really you just listen right. to rather than you know and I know I've been so interested to follow some of the stories and the journeys of people on who have appeared on the podcast and they talk about um, playing along to records and all this kind of stuff. It was basically that. But instead of listening to James Taylor, it was Mozart. Yeah. And it was just right. these clips again. that you just listen to over and over again and you kind of learn it by ear. So I i grew up without really having a particularly uh, refined sort of way of reading music, um, it, certainly not in a performative sense. And even now, and obviously I've had to do that quite a bit professionally. So I, I now have a, a a kind of strange relationship where I kind of, the piano is like two instruments to me really one is Mm. playing musically and expressively um and and that generally is by ear the 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 smaller amount of information i'm reading the better for that kind of thing and the other side is when you're locked into a score and you're following and you're obviously you know you have an internal pulse and you just don't deviate from what's in front of you but I, i think what i find is that if you enjoy the music too much then you go wrong um, right. So if, if you're if you're sort of following a score and you're like wow okay I'm um, really that that voice thing is just great and you're just enjoying it too much then then you're you're going to you're going to slip up so you have to sort of yeah. turn that side of your brain off um, in order to be able to sight read in order to be able to accompany say, in in a kind of pressured situation I find and I'm sure, I I wish that wasn't the case actually that's my yeah. biggest irritation um, with with right. with that side in the same way you were talking about sort of how perfect pitch has a has a dark underside i think this is the same sort of thing um <laughs> yeah but yeah it was that's how I, how i began really um and i suppose i didn't really properly get into recorded music um until my my teens um i i guess the the kind of first music i i i liked you know this is my taste in music as opposed to stuff i was exposed to and sort of Learned in an educational setting was was like pink floyd and and you know tony banks from genesis and i used to you know mm. sit I, I worked out great gig in the sky by ear and and used oh, wow. to kind of um play 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 that at school i think i played it and i had to but i, I always i always when i was that age i always just wanted to be an electric guitarist to be honest you know, I had this this vision of, uh, you know, the geeky kind of classical pianist that played these pieces with fast runs that occasionally mm. impressed my peer group um, and actually wanting to kind of almost descend on a cloud of smoke with a white Stratocaster and just smash out comfortably down <laughs> and just sort of melt everyone's faces off. And, 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 you know, you kind of, and I couldn't do that. I didn't have a guitar yeah. and, I, and I never actually picked up a guitar and fulfilled that particular dream until i was much much older in my in my 20s really and, and mm. actually mainly over covid of, of all things right. but um
0: yeah i can see lots of guitars in the background of your shot now yeah it's often the way isn't it I've got I think I've said that before but I've got more guitars than I do keyboards it's like it's it's funny isn't it the guitars, yeah very easy to accumulate aren't they
1: and they're just so like nice to look at there's a there's a a, a Japanese made um, ES175 type guitar like a hollow body jazz electric with two lovely sort of F sound holes and I just I I don't play it because actually the setup's crap but I just look at it it's, it's just pretty and it excites me to look at it it just looks cool um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's just yeah, like absolutely. the wood is like it's just that kind of thing um actually the first keyboard um that i've fallen in love with looks wise and and it's a bit of a sad sort of thing to need that but um is actually the nords and the red it just aesthetically i just love it they're so good aren't um, they yeah
0: they they're 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 just such brilliant keyboards and uh yeah I, do, I just have nothing more to say on it than that basically they're like they're just great the feel of them what they can do the sounds yeah. yeah and the the yeah. visual of the they're just great they're just amazing yeah so
1: they just look flipping cool i think it <laughs> they do just, look cool it yeah. makes you want to play it um yeah and and you know like the the pitch stick i'm sorry am i off going off mic i'm just looking over no it's the fine pitch stick it's next to me um it's, it's sort of made from pine or something from the forests mm. of sweden um, and then the, 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 is the it really? uh, wow. I think it actually is. Yeah. And all of them are made, oh. actually, I read about this. All of them are made by a, a man who I, who I believe is no longer with us. Um, but he, he was making them by hand until he was wow. into his eighties. And I think now his workshop continues that legacy. And so all of these little pitch sticks, which I think Nords have had. for for 20 30 years now and they're all the same um have been made by him out of sort of pine from sweden which is amazing and then it also has a little um tone wheel type type thing which is made of a a piece of stone if you can imagine so it's it's just great i mean you know it's an organic thing
0: i would also love to have been in the meeting where they decided on the red because there must have been a point where they're like right what color are we gonna do yeah and there's you're so right that you know, they I'm sure they had loads of different colours and stuff and we trying stuff out, but whenever I see this red out and about as well, yeah. I'm like that's the Nord Red. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah. It's, it's such a, a, a it's a it's a it's almost like you associate it completely with that that keyboard. It's great. It's like
1: a scarlety kind of I don't know how to describe it really. It's a rich red, it's a nice burnt mm. almost. Yeah. 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 It's very cool. I love it. It's very cool. It's my favorite. Yeah. It's my favorite instrument now. It's 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 so nice. The only the only thing I think that could could replace it in my heart is like a, a fazioli, which would be red as well. Right. By the way, they've got a red fazioli with, like uh, a, a uh, with like a a lid with like pe- a a painting of Venice on it, which was <laughs> a custom job for some I can't remember who, uh, but it's wow. such a, an amazing looking instrument. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's probably God. worth a million pounds or something ridiculous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're beautiful pianos though the fiat i love those so when you were learning yeah. stuff by ear were you was it did you did you move on to kind of like other songs as well like pop songs when did that kind of come in you mentioned about the guitar but
1: yeah oh no well i mean it was all piano from from a, a really early age um from well from 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 childhood like learning um it was it was pink floyd beatles classic rock really was was what really resonated with me um when I was about you know between the ages of about 11 and 15 um mm. and, and and then I yeah then I kind of became really interested in electronic music and I spent actually most right. probably from you know most of my kind of later teens I spent making kind of garage and uh drum and bass and uh, oh wow uh, this this kind of stuff and a dubstep I suppose was just kind of coming in around that time too. So I was I was really into all that and like sequencing and and the, and the technology. I, that's always been something I've made more than listened to. I do listen to it, and there are some drum and bass albums which I absolutely love. The Moving Shadow mixes are absolutely insane. There's one actually which a lot of people don't know, which is called Moving Shadow Zero Five Point Two, uh, which right. has like mixes from. You know, these these guys from around the sort of early 2000s, um, which is just so hard. I just encourage anybody to check it out. It's just great. And it's recently been uploaded to Spotify as well. So I think it's available. Oh, nice. But yeah, it was all that kind of stuff, man. I was just, yeah. And that, it was was an eclectic mix.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is funny, isn't it? It's like, often in these interviews, I focus on people's early development in music and how they started and how they got into playing by ear but the reason why i do that is because i think that is so format that is so important yeah. in your journey because i kind of feel like for for example i think you know i do a lot of work with a lot of classical teachers um and when i say classical teachers i mean teachers that might teach uh like the class- uh, like violin or mm. uh the trumpet and they've all, they've kind of learned through the kind of graded system and when i get uh, i go and do these CPD conferences things where i go and kind of Do they quite often I get asked to go and do like a session with all of them on how you play by ear or how you improvise or these things that maybe don't rely on reading music and all those kind of things. And so many of them come up to me and say, I would love to be able to do this, but I just feel like I'm I'm so wired the other way way. it's like trying to completely i mean i think it's possible but it's it's quite a hard unwiring isn't it if you you know you have Mm. to 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 kind of think of it in a completely different way to not always visualize things on the page to be able to try and work you know i i think it's so interesting that the people that do play by ear were always doing it from a young age um i don't know what do you think about that do you do i mean do, do you think that's true do you think it's do you think i mean as someone who like teaches this stuff yeah I think it's, I think it's possible to, I mean, what, yeah, what do you
1: think? I think maybe the biggest mistake we make when we talk about playing by ear is this idea that we're somehow imagining the music because I don't think you, I, I mean, your experience may be quite different to mine, but certainly, and this is something I've refined my, my thoughts on through teaching some of our students at Trinity as well, actually, which is that you don't, um, imagine the music, you imagine your instrument and it, it, it appears to you embody, already embodied. So like, I don't know, when I was listening as a, as a child to Mozart's sonatas and, and sort of copying that sound rather than reading it from a score, I yeah. didn't know what chords I was playing, but you hear it linearly, like 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 a position on the piano. It just kind of comes into, and, it, and it, it's just like, you're so familiar with that setup, the 88 keys and the way that they're designed. That it appears to you in that way before it even occurs to you in theory, you know. So sometimes, if I have to do a performance the following day and I don't have time uh, to 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 practice properly, I, you can kind of run over pieces or run over accompaniment parts or or charts or whatever it is that you're playing in your in your own mind, and it never appears to you as music theory. It appears to you as positions on a keyboard. Um, and so, I mean, you know, like I don't know, if, can you can you hear that? does that come come yeah you might need to
0: put your original sound on there
1: just just to give you an example um, an A minor sonata by Mozart which is K310 I think uh, which sounds a bit like this and you've noticed can you hear that does that sort of come over so that second chord so it's A minor right and then I mean, what is that I mean it's kind of dominant-y because you kind of imagine it's going like sort of thing but it's not a dominant chord it's got all kinds of strange notes in it but I had no idea how to describe that I wouldn't ever know the theory behind that when I was a kid or even now frankly I'd have to really sit down and think right what notes are in that and what is it sort of how is it functioning what is it doing but you but you kind of know how to play it on the piano um, and so I think yeah they're, th- shapes. they're just shapes and and actually and this is mm. increasingly my my perspective which sounds really cynical um but music is just a sequence of clichés really that you can learn um you know if you're if you're thinking about the kind of standard jazz voicings it, and and I think I didn't understand this when I was a teenager you know I heard Keith Jarrett and Oscar Peterson, and I heard the way they played, and I thought, "This is actually magic from a different planet. Uh, it's impossible to imagine that linearly. How can you construct these chords linearly? You can't approach this. Yeah. I mean, maybe Keith Jarrett could because his ear is just out, you know, from the planet Mars. But but most you know normal humans can't possibly construct that stuff. But actually, if you check out his voicings and you just actually work through it analytically, they're all they're all the same. They're always the same. You know, he will always voice. A flat 5 chord like this and or invert it up and then and, you know and then you do I don't do that kind of altered voicing or whatever you know and it's always the same stuff over and over that I added mm-hmm. the left hand bass that so he would normally not do that but it's always the same chords over and over again, so you just kind of yeah, embody them. Yeah, there,
0: there are so many patterns in those in those things, and I think I think I think when you're lear- when you're starting out, it can feel quite overwhelming of where do you even begin. But like you say, there are so many little standard things that you can learn that actually you're like, wow, I can just apply that in so many different places. Yeah. those left hand voicings are so interesting though, because like I mean, it's, it's they're quite jazz kind of like informed form shape yeah. so you could but I mean they're the sorts of things that you could use in your left hand yeah you could use them in your right hand when you're accompanying exactly. uh, kind of like solo with a bass line as well you can use them up the top of your voicings to kind of like end a song or something and they're just you can kind of just use them everywhere they're like little jigsaw pieces aren't they
1: that's exactly how I see it as well and 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 I, yeah. I guess the, the point the ear comes in is informing you which one to choose so if you know yeah fundamentally you've got a dominant sound and you're in a minor key then you can you know you can you can sharpen the nine or something like that and you just know sort of how to do that because you've practiced it before so right I guess the, the the big kind of shift for me orally was when I was learning by ear classical music and actually right up until my 20s really to be honest um i heard everything linearly and i still do to, a, to an extent so i hear a melody i hear a bass line um and you kind of play those and then you kind of use the middle voicings you can kind of fill in based on what you expect to be there broadly speaking yeah. i mean sometimes you've got a third voice that comes in but you hear this stuff through time you don't hear it vertically in that in that kind of way yeah. um so i mean you might hear kind of contrapuntal music in that way like a few you know, this kind of thing.
0: We've How would you explain contrapuntal music, by the way, to someone who maybe doesn't know that?
1: What that um, is. Well, contrapuntal is like the fancy Latin way of saying counterpoint. So it's like one note against another. But I guess the way to conceptualise it is that you're thinking um, through time. You're thinking horizontally, you're not vertically. It's a, it's a mm. way of constructing music horizontally, I think. Um, yeah, and obviously yeah, yeah. vertical harmony uh, emerges from, from that sort of horizontality. But... Um, but that's almost a byproduct and and that's kind of i think that's one of the fundamental differences between the way classical musicians and jazz musicians and and popular musicians actually conceptualize harmony is do you think of it vertically or horizontally um and and actually the way i think of it is both sort of and i try and marry the two together um as, as much as possible but that's sort of just how my brain works i suppose but um what was the what no, was the original question no. Sorry, i can't lost, remember lost it's so, so it's so concluded.
0: fascinating i think it's so i think it's so interesting as well when you meet people that do span those both worlds the classical world and the kind of jazz and the pop and like kind of well i don't know whatever you call it you know yeah, the, the kind yeah. of groove music whatever yeah span those i like worlds because groove
1: music let's go with that
0: i might use that <laughs> yeah someone used that the other day and i was like oh that's such a good way of describing it it's kind of like music that's how would you how would you describe a groove? It's like music that maybe I don't want to use the word backbeat. Maybe that yeah, but almost, I know right. what you
1: mean. I think, I tell you, here's a way I, I think, which I'm sort of slightly lifting from Adam Neely, um, right. who, who, who made a, quite a controversial video about this, but one that I found actually quite revealing for me personally it, and, and the people I work with is that classical musicians follow the beat, whereas jazz and popular groove musicians, I like that, um, they, they push the beat or they define it, right. shall we say. Uh, and it's yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. they lay the beat and then uh, you kind of, it's a more proactive way of playing. Um, whereas, I, and I and I noted this, you know, with classical musicians I've worked with in the past, not mentioning any names, or we can edit <laughs> them out. <no. laughs> I won't, uh, but, but, you know, the, the, the sense of pulse is is different. I won't say worse, yeah. but it's different. And I think if yeah. you, yeah, you kind of marry the two, you probably do get the best of both worlds.
0: It's kind of, yeah, I've had that. I've had that where I've realized into playing. So if I'm accompanying someone or if I'm playing with an ensemble or whatever, I've it, it's kind of like you realise you're speaking a bit of a different language, yeah. Because in a lot of cl- in a lot of classical music, and particularly like the orchestral thing, I mean, it's designed to sound like that. It's got the music's got to sound fluid, but the pulse also becomes really fluid. Mm. And I've also had it as well, where you know, you you when you're working with a con- like a conductor or something, there's so much emphasis on the up, but actually, when you're working in groove music, the the emphasis is on the down where that's it falls, so, so... but then just. You see, it's like the uh, it's like you're thinking of it differently. They're always looking for the up, and we're always looking for the down. That's
1: a really interesting <laughs> way of looking at it, actually. Yeah, because it's, it's it's in the up, in sort of rubato classical music, your kind of Chopin type style, where you're yeah. stretching the the tempo all the time. Um, that actually all that expression lies, I suppose. Like it's in the lift, and then you can kind of create space. And mm. the downbeat is always the downbeat. But before that and, and I yeah, that's a really interesting point of view actually. Um it's 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 interesting how actually when I'm conducting larger ensembles, I I, I think of it like leading a band, not like leading an orchestra, actually. And you get better results right. out of most most types of orchestras in my experience get you get better results if you are the click track in a very mm. kind of uh, proactive way. Um rather than sort of wallowing in some kind of expressivity which is a bit vague yeah um, yeah yeah and, and you get both both types of conductors it probably does depend slightly on the experience of the musicians you're working with as well but um it yeah certainly for younger musicians if you're conducting those kind mm. of bands then providing a very clear and proactive pulse like you're a rhythm section a one a sort of yeah. one person rhythm section gets just gets better results from my experience you they, they lock into it a lot more and they and they play with more 100%. purpose.
0: I was doing a thing on Friday with a a choir that I worked with, and it was being accompanied by this this brass sort of quintet, uh, like tuba and trombone and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Christmas. They'd had this goes back to oh, it was so Christmas. It would bring it bring it it back to the Christmas special. (laughs) Yeah, it was very Christmassy. It was just missing the sleigh Anyway, there was this arrangement, and. I had the choir and it's really interesting when you mix like amateur music, like people that are just there to sing and they know the part they've got to sing, you know, and they've learned it by ear and you know, that you've got those people and then you've got the people that are like reading the dots and don't, Hmm. don't necessarily know what the choir is singing at all. They've just been given a part and they're sight reading it anyway. So I gave it to one of the players and I was like, okay, here's the part. I've written it all out and everything. And they sort of looked at each other and then they just kind of like went one of them raised their chin when they were gonna like this is when they were about to play it and then he moved his chin down and they all started yeah but there had <laughs> been, <laughs> there, there, there was there was no like discussion at all about the tempo there was That's no, strange and I was like that is we're just to me, the groove of it and the tempo of it yeah. and the feel of it is like the most important thing. So it's yeah. like, they, I, I guess, in that kind of world, the first bar is a bit of a scramble for everyone to kind of meet in the middle. I, that, I don't but know, it, but rather, certainly,
1: from what you're saying, it sounds like it would be. <laughs> I've seen that happen so many times. Yeah, no, and these are like, like
0: professional musicians, same. you know, and it's like these are like professional orchestral musicians. And I think just that that's what I mean about the whole philosophy of it being completely different. Mm. You know, sometimes on like a gig, someone to give like the longest counting. In the world yeah. just so everyone gets like the feeling yeah I, I, yeah the, i'm more this, of that way inclined yeah you start clicking before you even start counting and it's Absolutely. just like everyone's like yeah. feeling the groove and then when you start it's like yeah we're all on the same track i mean whether you yeah. end up on the same track at the end of the gig is a well, different well, thing but you, you know, know same crossed. tempo but just the idea that i could be with like a band and just raise my chin
2: <laughs> that, <laughs> then, yeah i know
1: but yeah, i think actually the other part of of, of the, you know the, the, what that makes me feel is i'm a bit more i'm too much of a control freak for that you know like you want you want to kind of make sure everyone's locked into the pocket or locked into the groove before you go even if it's Beethoven's fifth I'm serious like I know we're talking predominantly about groove music but you know you've got to have that and and actually you know even even I even extend that further like actually when I'm you know giving a rehearsal for example I I don't lose the pulse actually even when I'm telling them instructions I'll still be clicking sometimes I might even speak it in time to the click you know like now we're going to sing on the, you know whatever it is and just keep the yeah, pulse yeah, going yeah. so no one loses it and that sense of energy is sustained throughout oh, the, so the whole rehearsal um i just yeah. yeah that kind of like i just call it wet to be honest it just sounds a bit, you know i'm not <laughs> i'm not trying to sort of yeah, you know, yeah. cast, you know, it's just really on.
0: interesting people approach people approach things in complete in completely different ways and for me the groove is just it kind of in whatever i'm playing actually i'll go as far as I say that whatever i'm playing the groove is the most important thing even if it's kind of a uh even if it's something that's out of time, the groove Mm. is still important of how it's falling and how it's like flowing. And And um, I have
1: the same thing like with sight reading as well. It's a similar kind of discipline where you become a sort of visual metronome and you just keep moving, you know. And and if the chord you play is wrong, so be it. You just carry on. You just can't stop. And and, and you've got to have that because if you stop or if you step down, um, than, than if you just play a few wrong notes, you know. But I've, I know a lot of accompanists that are, you know contending with quite tricky passages will try and play every note correctly, but will actually almost like a computer, which is sort of hemorrhaging CPU usage. It kind of mm. slows down, and actually you yeah. just it's you lose that sense of musicality. Again, it's just a very different way of looking at, at the at the at the score um, and thinking about the music. I guess. But certainly my own uh, approach is is. Really, if I am dealing with classical music, which I do at least fifty percent of the time, to be honest, with with the work I do, it, you know, I still treat it like like groove music, mm. and I think I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna steal that uh, that phrase actually. <laughs> yeah. I think that really does summarise it.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. Someone did it. Someone someone mentioned it the other day, and I was like, oh, that is really good. That is a really good. Really good turn. Should we do one of these? Um, we've kind of been chatting have, away, we haven't have. we? But there's so much, there's so much I want talk to ask Let's talk about some, some other people um, other than
1: ourselves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, let's talk. Let, let's, well, let's just listen to... Maybe let's just do one, mm. right? And we can. I reckon I reckon this is going to be a two-part hour because we're going to have to come yeah, back. Yeah. So basically, for everyone listening, I asked Simeon, I was just like, right, come on, we we'll chat about loads of stuff and we'll do some bit best of little clips of the podcast so I don't know what he's picked yet
1: yeah so. I don't know so I guess yeah I found it actually really difficult to pick because we talked about picking two and I did find it quite difficult to narrow it down because there were so many really cool people with very sort of um well u- unique insights really into into how this all all works um you know like Jeanette Mason for example I've I've actually been to a few of her her gigs at the hideaway and that's a, a venue I've played at so I really yeah, loved, loved hearing what she had to say about you know, actually, there was a great, evocative moment um, in in her conversation where she talked about when the sort of cameras go live and you're playing in it for a live mm-hmm. TV uh, context, and you have to just, you know, start as soon as it goes. and And, and I haven't done that myself. I've done sort of um, not live, pre-recorded TV stuff, but that kind of moment where this is sort of a do or die thing. And I just, it, it just, it makes your heart mm-hmm. stop stop in your chest to kind of put yourself in that position and imagine how you would how you would deal with it. Um, and I don't think you ever really truly know how you deal with something like that until you've done it. Actually. It's one of those, one of those things. Um, yeah. but I think she said, she said one way to sort of um, uh, prepare well is to do your homework. I like that idea of just, and actually maybe that means mm-hmm. also running through it in your head beforehand. And I don't just mean live TV, by the way, I'm talking across tricky situations that you're placed in and you're suddenly under a huge amount of pressure um, and transitioning from no pressure to suddenly being uh, doing something where it feels hugely kind of momentous—that—that um, right. that seems like good advice to me, and and that's certainly a, a cool moment.
2: Back in the day, if there was a, a a a TV producer who wanted a female musician, it was myself and Yolanda Charles and a drummer called Michelle Drees. We always got the call. Right. I so I got. I got to do uh, one of the early Jonathan Ross shows, and part of the remit of being the musical director was I had to write the signature tune. Okay. So so that's where that kind of really started. I mean, I'd always been interested in writing um, for film and television, and I think a lot of my music is very visual in the way that I approach uh, writing music um so that's that's really where it started you know them um, it uh, it was if you know they were looking for female musicians and for some reason the three of us seemed to be the go-to people at the time
0: yeah that's fantastic yeah. it must it must have been very fun because you must have accompanied loads of different artists that were playing and had to work yeah. on little arrangements for them and all that kind of thing yeah.
2: were there any yeah. kind of
0: particular moments that you think oh that was really cool playing with that person who came on that show um
2: well i at the time um Katie Lang had just put out an album, which her was her was a massive album called Ingenue and she was on the Jonathan Ross show. So I got to play Constant Craving with her, which yeah. was brilliant. Um, I'm trying to think who else was on that? Uh, Misha Paris. I mean, we, we had to play with and all kinds of strange people. Um, yeah. I don't know if you remember John Inman, they put these kind of comedy characters right, on them. Okay. So you had to come up with some kind of strange, uh you know arrangement of a of a, an old song for him so but that really was you know every week it was bam 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 you've got to come up with something and you're going to make it work you're and it was live television so that really taught me a lot you know yeah i
0: bet yeah that and i, I mean playing on live tv a few people on this podcast have said playing on live tv for them is the most nerve-wracking of all <laughs> um, absolutely is, is do you find that as well
2: oh well you've got that countdown and you know you've got to play the signature tune and it's got to come in at thirty seconds. Oh well, the know.
0: the TV theme was actually played live, was it? Live. Oh wow, okay, like the sort of Parkinson vibe kind of yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
2: It was it was very much that thing, and um, I can remember uh, Candy Dolphus. She was great. So we played "Pick Up the Pieces" with Candy Dolphus. Yeah. But then I was playing it, and my mind just went blank. And you're like, I've no idea what the next chord is, and there's nothing you can do. You are on live television you know of course so you just learn to deal with those kind of um you know mistakes I mean we all learn to do that as musicians you learn to cover and and that's part of the skill really of becoming a a well-rounded musician you've got to learn to deal with that and and also not let it faze you yeah or get upset about it you know you just move on from it
0: Big shout out yeah. to Jeanette. I loved her episode. She was really good, and I love the way she uh, she spoke about twisting stuff. I think that was her her. Um uh, her kind of phrase that she coined about how she uses music and how she kind of arranges it. And she always tries to twist it and turn it. Yeah. And I liked that because it's kind of like using the elements of it, but just completely turning it on its head. And um, yeah, I thought, yeah, great. and so, sort of, yeah, big shout you out to know, her.
1: Because obviously she does uh, a lot of amazing sort of cover stuff as well, kind of David Bowie or Prince. Mm. And, and I and I've, I went mm. to well, both of those shows, actually, and saw, and saw those at the hideaway um oh, nice. but but it, yeah i mean kind of bringing your own voice to other people's music is also something ollie rockberger talks about a bit isn't it and and, and he's a, he's an yeah. incredible artist like a huge fan of his old habits record um which i've known for quite a few mm. years actually um oh did you yeah. know that one as well yeah oh, i was that the what was the one you mentioned wasn't it
0: yeah that album was like mm-hmm. so influential for me and he um yeah ollie's great i think ollie is just an incredible songwriter and singer and yeah For me, he has such a a voice on the piano. I just know when he's playing the piano.
1: Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. And it's so easy to kind of steal that. It's just so,
0: (laughs) and I just, I I can't think of many people like that, you know, where I just, I, I instantly know. I just like, yeah. I, and it may be because I know his music really well and he uses inflections and like guitar led stuff. Well, like he, I, I think I spoke about that on the episode. Yeah, he just makes it sound like a guitar with the way he kind of slides between notes and uses interesting voicings and his harmony as well. He's got a, kind of his harmonic world that he's in. Uh, for for I'm not saying for all of his songs but for, for particularly that old Habits record yeah it's so it's it's kind of got elements of Randy Newman in there it's got like One it's of my like favorites. little yep. like seven chord like shift things he does it's just anyway yeah he's wicked man love him
1: yeah and he's yeah. like the master of that style as well i think if yeah. you know that it's just a perfect This sounds this this almost sounds like a double edged compliment but it's like the perfect version of itself of yeah. what it's trying to do, it's just so beautifully yeah. self-contained. Um, mm. and, was he
0: your was he your clip?
1: Um, yeah, he can definitely be be one of my clips. Yeah. I've, okay. Let's let yeah. I'll,
0: I'll I'll put that in now. Let's have a listen. What sort of things can people do on piano to really develop their own style of playing and to create their own voice?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there might be two different answers again, depending on whether you're kind of. Um, whether you're really wanting to be for music to be your professional life and be have a career in music versus music being a purely pleasurable pastime rather than a full-time occupation so um i suppose i'm 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 answering initially for maybe people that are wanting to develop a voice for music to be their life you know their life their work um i think that It might sound like a simple thing but i think spending some time really trying to get to the bottom of what it is that you love in the things that you love what what is it in the piano playing that you hear and in the songs that you love what is it that you're hearing is it the voicings is it the harmonic motion is it the melody is it is it the sonics is it the use of because i think that sometimes we and particularly for those of us who have a jazz background and there's a feeling of well if i'm not transcribing linear solos and and amassing you know that that language that kind of language then there's nothing else that's worthy of kind of my full bodied full-minded consideration um and by the way, I think there's absolutely a place for transcription and linear and solos, and I've done my share of that and that. But that's a different. Yeah. But I, but I, I'm talking about trying to actually ask yourself, well, what is it the thi- What is it in these five, ten pieces that I love? What is it that I'm gravitating towards? And then try and get to the bottom of what that is. Whether it's a case of figuring out some of the voicing, some of the harmonic motion, some of the mm. sonics. Trying to understand what it is that you love about the music that you love, and the keyboard players and the piano players that you love, irrespective of the genre. And then I think giving yourself real permission to to play and 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 be at the piano and develop. You know, the, the, I think. And as much as there, there's a there's a time and a place for structured practice and working on things, the best things that happened to me as a piano player came from just sitting at the piano and exploring and experimenting and trying things and writing things and enjoying the sounds that I was creating. Um, So I think that I'm a big advocate of a little study, a little listening and then play and kind of going back and forth between those two things.
1: Sorry, I've come up with way too many and I actually genuinely found it really difficult to narrow it down because there were so many great moments, Adam. (laughs) <laughs> so many
0: wonderful moments that <laughs> oh, is good i'm glad to hear that it's good it's so good so good to, it's so good when they i like that people are hearing it you know and hear hearing it it's so it's so reassuring for me as well because um sometimes you just you basically just upload these mp3s to an online uh podcast distributor and then you have no idea who's listening to it yeah whether a, like something like youtube or something like that you actually get comments like yeah, you know, if you sub- yeah. do a youtube video people comment or people follow you on instagram or on tiktok people come a, a podcast you have no, no idea. no feedback
1: at all yeah.
0: <laughs> no feedback at all but it's kind of and then and that's what's so nice when you meet people that are actually listening to it you know it's great
1: well if you invite great guests which they've all been and you have a lovely radio ready speaking voice as you do then it's going to sound pretty good it's like it's i'm basically format. living
0: out my um childhood dream which was to have a uh, my own radio station
2: yeah <laughs> weirdly yeah. it's <laughs> funny how you go
0: full circle in life right man you go to- completely full circle i started off i like had a microphone and uh, it was called ajfm because my initials are adam james Love it. and yep. i used to just basically pretend i was on the radio That's and i used so to play cool. this game where you'd have to like um it's called hit the intro yeah. you know, like, on local radio? I know you've done... You've, you, isn't your partner in radio? Yeah, 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 she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah She's yeah, a yeah.
1: producer for Bauer Okay, radio. nice. Yeah, re- Greatest Hits Radio. Oh,
0: wicked. Okay, perfect. That's, like, ultimate for what I would love to have done. Basically, you, um, you, you start playing the track and you have to talk over the track until the vocal begins, but you have to stop just before the vocal, like microscopic like yep. do you see it's just like and then yep, suddenly the yep. vocal comes in so you'd be talking yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. throw it talking about the news what we got coming up 80s 90s and today and then boo yeah boo oh man if yeah. you can do that the <laughs> adrenaline rush <laughs> you get off that is just absolutely nice just to do that I have
1: I I think you probably mastered it better than the the actual DJs though, because the, the, there is a secret which is the playout system actually does analyse it for you and tells you when the vocals coming in. Oh no it way! It actually gives you a countdown. Yeah, I think. I mean, if you're going back to kind of the classic days, then then they were obviously doing that from memory because they just knew the records like the back of their hand. But nowadays, it actually has a little oh, countdown that's and it says like, so much "This less... is how long you've got before the." All...
0: <laughs> oh, that's rude! <laughs> I don't, oh oh no. no, that's that. That's I thought it. that was just a skill you had to develop to get on like, like anywhere. Oh, wow! Well, well okay, that's it was it was back
1: in it was back in the Steve Wright in the afternoon kind of days oh, in yeah. the seventies and eighties. So it was it was definitely that. But nowadays, it's um, everything's just computers just do everything yeah, it just for Just does us. it all.
0: Kind of, oh, there we go. Another thing. Another thing lost to AI. M-
1: musicians, we're we're stuff. Yeah, we're we're not going to have anything to do in a few years' time. The other thing is AI is amazing at teaching as well. And this is the thing I genuinely thought I had job security being, you know, musician is creative, AI can't be creative. Teaching is about personal connections and sort of, you know, communicating ideas. AI is better at that as well. You know, if you get a chat GPT to try and explain to you, uh, you know, how to to voice a particular type of chord, it will kind of talk you through it. It's actually, and it's getting better at that. so powerful. You can can have a discussion with it about how to create a particular... particular passage of music or what chord should i use next if i'm doing it it, and it will give you answers it's it's, crazy i mean they're not always great but it will get better and you know five years time
0: not to what what you've got to be careful is a lot i think a lot of people i think i might have said this but a lot lot of people think that you can just basically copy it off chat GPT. and then it's done and if that's where people fall down if you use it as a starting point and then you you end up with something. Like I'm much better at editing yeah. than I am from yep. starting with a blank page. So you can go and then you've got something to vibe off. It's a bit like having a conversation with someone. When you're having a conversation, you're vibing off each other. And it's basically just someone so to vibe true, with yeah. to come yeah. up with your thing. But what you do what the people that just copy it off the internet like, oh yeah, I'll just basically do it all for you. Well that then you've just like completely missed the point of
1: it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but I tell you, actually what you say, I think also is just generally amazing advice for any creative people who are yeah. wondering, staring at a blank page, whether you've got to write an essay for school or you, know, you want to write a new song and you're staring at a blank page, write something, write something mm. crap and edit it because editing mm. is so much easier than yeah. creating genius from nothing. You know, no one can do that. <laughs> yeah. You can't just go yeah. from zero and just, you know, and then suddenly it's, it's, it's you know, a masterpiece. It's not going to happen. You've got to just create something rubbish and just keep polishing it until it's good um yeah. and 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 chat gbt is a really good personal assistant um you can kind yeah. of put ideas to it and it will give you something back you know and it's actually a reasonably intellectually kind of good personal assistant it will give you ideas yeah. that are, are not amazing but decent and you can kind of work with that and it gives it makes mm-hmm. you feel like you know i've just actually completed a three-year thesis writing tortuous um shall we say nightmare no let's not say nightmare let's say uh wonderful enriching experience nightmare oh. um, <laughs> you just, and, you just um, got
0: you're basically now doctor right uh,
1: actually as of friday um, i am adam yes I'm oh sorry. wow yeah
0: are you I, gonna yeah. get like your debit cards reprinted with doc- doctor
1: on it and Do you just, know like... what i will yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that one is of the, those I... it's, it's actually it's strange because actually i think a lot of people think it's a little bit it's a silly hierarchical thing isn't it you know that you're yeah. saying these things in certain contexts it can be a bit of a you know you've got to, i wouldn't correct people or whatever, but actually you know it was a painful enough experience i think to give me that to justify it <laughs> just
0: by doing um, it what was your phd actually and i don't think i've even asked you that i can't believe that what, what was well, like the I, topic I, of your thesis? I
1: could certainly forgive you for not asking me that. And um, I can also forgive you for immediately forgetting what I'm about to say. <laughs> um, but it was... Well, to make it sound a little bit cooler than it actually is, um, it was kind of a, a global or sort of transcultural approach to music analysis and theory, which will apply sort of to music from... Uh, it's a way of relating music to ideology and to sort of society more generally. So kind of how are the structures of music and, and i literally mean you know the structures of chords of of, of harmonic changes of uh forms that, that music takes whether it's song form or or you know verse chorus or you know a, a sort of repeating structure that you might find in an improvised context or a symphony or whatever it is and how those relate to the sort of structures of society that created them um, and kind of mm. thinking of a, a way of Relating those two things, I guess, and, and analyzing them, it's it's kind of wow. it's kind of specific. But I mean, the 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 music I draw upon is quite quite interestingly eclectic. So I kind of draw right. on like, works by Gustav Holst, um, film com, film music by Hans Zimmer. Um, you know, London London jazz scene I talk about quite a bit. Um, you know people like, wow. like Novaya Garcia, the Ezra Collective, um, and sort of how these musics are kind of constructed really by looking at scales. Um, you know because actually Holston and Nibail Garcia aren't too far away in terms of what they're doing with scales. Um, and right. sort of drawing those links. and you wouldn't necessarily think that, but kind no, of drawing yeah. those links is, is kind of cool. Um,
0: man crazy
1: it is crazy yeah and but it's done now so we don't we don't ever have to think about it again but
0: <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's funny to do something and want to never think about it again isn't it but yeah and that's i'm really <laughs> mate, <laughs> mate mate
1: you you should you should welcome to my life
0: <laughs> Yeah. Uh. I've, I've had people say oh you know particularly at work and stuff or they said oh you should do a phd or a you know and i'm like oh i don't know if, I, I mean i just did these books yeah, you've and that done, was that's your really PhD. Man, that was, I, I, I can't even, I'm going to do like an episode about how I did it, but like sitting down in front of a Word document as like a creative so oh, right. when you sit down when you sit down to write music for a day or you're doing anything musical you've got a gig coming up you're rehearsing at the end of the day you have some kind of like tangible sound or something recording or something that you've created that's like quite rewarding and yeah. can be adrenaline rush you know and all mm. this stuff
1: oh definitely to
0: find yourself to sit down in front of a word document at the end of the day and you work really really hard and then at the end of the day you have a page of kind of like text with diagrams and sort yeah. of stuff and some sound files but the sound files are obviously separate it's just, it's very hard to get motivated to yeah, kind of do that. Yeah. And particularly when you're on like a really tough bit, like I sort of completely had, I realised when I was doing it that actually to understand anything advanced in music, like in terms of theory, this is for everyone listening, this is like, there were like books about theory. There were like music about about chords, about rhythm, about all these different things, but aimed at popular uh, pop and rock musicians. Um, uh, and what I, what I discovered was that to understand anything, I mean, it sounds so obvious, but to understand anything advanced, you have to be all over the basics.
1: Hmm. Yeah. If you have
0: any gaps in your knowledge in the basics, then when you get to any kind of advanced thing or ex- like whatever it might be, it just means that you're, you, there'll be a point where you can't understand that because you don't, you, you're not over that like basic thing. I'm talking like super basics. I'm talking like, so one of the things I had to work out was when I was doing these books was, how do you teach everyone what notes are in, in each, each major scale?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and did you come to any conclusion?
0: I I realized that the only way and I because I used to hate the tone tone semitone thing, right? I used to hate yeah, that because it's not yeah, it's never the way I've done it. Totally agree. That's the only way you can teach everyone though what notes are in a major scale. Maybe you're right. Without yeah, writing yeah. them all down or getting them to learn them by you, to, to give them some formula to work it out. That's the only yeah. way I realized you could do it. I spoke to so many people about it and and I got myself in a real like t- I, I, <laughs> you know when you get yourself into those kind of like sort of like circular like thinking i got in a real tis about uh seventh chords yeah and the fact that we always call a seven chord a dominant seven chord yeah but yeah. actually i the the the, the term dominant oh, sorry this has got so nerdy all of a sudden but the oh, term dominant it. is so um is so problematic if if the seven chord in the key doesn't fall on the five just Do because dominant means the fifth place in a key, like the that's fifth, the true. fifth chord in a key, yeah. and that's so. I got in a whole thing about whether it should, and then seventh chords, and I mean it sounds so ridiculous now, and I'm not really that bothered about it now. But at the yeah. time when you're writing it, and you've got a, you've got a like. You've got to, you've got to articulate it and put it in this book and it's there forever you're like oh is it a seventh chord or is it a seventh chord That's a good point. is it is it like dominant <laughs> yeah. is it is it you, and you you tie yourself up in all these yeah. things I realize that such a good way of looking at anything uh, related to harmony is to look at everything through the lens of the major scale. Yeah, that was the biggest I agree with thing that. I took and away.
1: Actually, that's very really and just to bring it back to the incredibly boring topic of my PhD. Um, that's pretty much the conclusion I came to is all my research really yeah. is that if you conceptualize everything in terms of pitch class sets, which is what a scale is, it's just a set mm. of pitches. Then you can actually explain the whole structure of the music, and that applies as much to you know music of the Ezra Collective or or of um, you know King Tubby's or whoever yeah, and, as it, it does to to Holst or or Beethoven or whatever. And it's it is that thing. I mean, I think yeah, the major scale is is obviously a con, responsible for what ninety percent really of of Western harmony, um, and then there are some other important scales as well like. The, mm. the melodic minor scale comes up quite a lot harmonic minor but if you relate
0: if you always learn that through the lens of the major yeah okay no uh, yeah fair so enough. do you see what yeah. i mean so yeah, i yeah. i think of all of my major scale like all the harmonic minor the melodic minor all of my most think of them like change the notes in the major scale to get, yeah. get there yeah like exactly. i sort of realized that actually and I, i'm not and i'm not sure if i'm i'm right here but i'm even coming to the conclusion that there isn't really a minor key
2: yes i, there's I agree there's only that
0: there's only a major key totally and you're just starting that. it in a different place it's like exactly uh, and i've got i came up with all these different things and then you get into different conversations with people that think differently and you just tie yourselves up
1: <laughs> anyway no, i agree yeah, with that it, a, a minor minor is yeah it's a borrowing from a from a parallel key but it's yeah it's basically a, a the same key if it's if you're thinking c major a minor they're the same key yeah Oh, mm, I agree. Exactly. I completely agree with exactly. that. Exactly. And you know. Um, they function in the same way. And actually Holst is an interesting composer for that because he will never distinguish between those two. If you listen to right. um you know, like Saturn, which is um from the planets, which is a really um massive orchestral suite, which was basically re- responsible for the sound world of a lot of uh contemporary film music. But no, that distinction between major and minor is it's a it's a really interesting one. And you know, I think actually what you were saying about tone tone semi-tone, or, or the kind of way of constructing a scale through description um it, it works theoretically and, and actually i think it works in terms of a teaching method um mm. in a generalized sense but actually the way i i conceptualize it and i i suspect you'll be the same because i think we're both coming at this from a fairly similar kind of point of view which is through the piano really mm. and actually you kind yeah. of visualize it pianistically in some way you know so, so if you're visual the piano isn't it it's, it's visual, yeah, for that, and that's really. the way it, that's the way it exists. And, and actually, and I know this sounds awful, um, but I do think maybe the best way of teaching music theory is to just teach keyboard skills in a way, yeah. which sounds really yes. exclusionary for sort of like people that have different instruments and different backgrounds and all the rest of it. And mm. it is in a way, and it's not ideal. But learning things from a page and sort of you know like a maths sort of textbook or something. I just don't know if that works, you know. We, In the yeah. same way you need to buy a calculator for school to, to do your GCSE maths, you kind of need a keyboard to be able to fully kind of grasp music, I think, in, in the yeah. sense of, certainly in, in the sense of music theory, if you're trying to conceptualise across instruments. Because the guitar is good. I think it's, you know, I've learned a lot from the guitar.
0: You can get away with a lot on the guitar, can't you? I know a lot of amazing guitarists who... Maybe don't know what notes they're playing all of the time. Mm. <laughs> I, I,
1: I am apart from the amazing bit. That is basically me on the guitar. Yeah, talk.
0: you can, um, <laughs> you can, you know, you can get really far on the guitar, <laughs> and you could, you could just be like, you could stop them, someone mid playing, and be like, "What notes are you playing?" And they'd have to actually physically work it out. Now, I don't think you could do that on the piano. I don't think you could get to a point where you're able to play a chord without yeah. like knowing the notes that you're yeah. you're playing. It's just I mean, I guess you could if it was like a muscle memory thing or I I don't know, but it's that guitarists can get i I think it's very hard on the piano to be able to play something and not know what notes you're playing or you know yeah because they're all laid out completely differently on the guitar it's all the same just for want of a better phrase you can you just have to shift your hand up basically exactly yeah you know it isn't quite that simple apologies to any guitarists that are listening that it isn't quite that simple but But it
1: is like it's an iterative pattern in the way the piano isn't and this is the thing that i think the piano is misleading on two fronts firstly it's in c i mean however you yeah. look at it in the same way a clarinet is in b flat a piano yeah. is in c uh it's just mm. it's just geared up to playing you know the c major scale here's the left hand again there's a c major scale didn't really intend it mm. to be one but it is one um and it's just it's in c um and so that means playing in b is harder uh, uh in, in in many ways you have to learn it in mm. a separate way um the guitar isn't in any key actually genuinely open strings kind of throw a spanner in the works to some degree, but you can actually kind of almost avoid them if you're a bit of a mm. noob like me. Like I kind I hate open strings actually, which which is maybe controversial because a lot of people then like like starting with open chords. But yeah, um, but I think the thing the guitar taught me more than maybe anything else is that the piano you you don't have to understand as much as you think you do, I think, on the piano. And the guitar mm. is like, okay, this is the way you, you do a flat 13 chord. This is the flat 13 chord thing. I mean, there's a few ways to do it, and you can do it with or without a root and do it up the neck and do all kinds of things like that. But fundamentally, if you're just basically reading a chart, this is a flat 13 chord, and it will work. You know, If you know yeah. what the notes of the East, low E string are, then you can plonk a flat 13 chord down on the, the right string, and it will work. Um, and actually, the same applies to piano in 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 a way. I mean, it is more closely related to theory, but I think it kind of goes back to this thing when I was first sort of trying to conceptualize more complex improvised music, like your kind of Keith Jarrett kind of voicings and this kind of thing, is that it it fooled me into thinking that you had to be thinking on this insane level where every single note of a particular voicing, whatever it is, you know, these kind of nasty, crunchy, beautiful voicings, that you're kind of coming to each one of those notes as an independent artistic decision, um, right. which yeah, yeah, I yeah. just don't think is the way it works. No, it's not
3: the way it um, works. No, and no and shape, I think the piano can of like, sort of, yeah.
1: exactly, like guitar chords. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And muscle memory plays a huge part of it as well. And,
1: and there are more options. Yeah. It's maybe more daunting, but... But it's just muscle memory. And and that's what I mean. Like embodying the theory on your instrument is the most important way. I think what I struggle maybe is to conceptualize some of these things like scales and scale chord theory and that kind of thing to to singers, actually. That's something I'm still working mm. on. Um, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. That.
0: When they don't have that, if they don't always have a visual uh, thing to uh, kind of uh, attach to, like, we've got the piano, you know.
1: That's the thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. hard that.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm going to have to shoot, unfortunately, um, but uh, it has been so good chatting. I've loved this. Have we, do you think we've filled the Christmas special vibe? Do you think we've done that? I don't know. I, th- I feel like we need a part two.
1: Well, I think it's, it's kind of one of those conversations that's like something that you could have on while making the roast turkey.
0: Oh, <laughs> that is oh, fantastic. You yeah, know, it's
1: it's like, I think it's a warm, like, chat. <laughs> a warm,
0: a warm chat. It got geeky. I don't, it I don't, got, I don't um, know. It got it's Christmassy. Got, I mean,
1: it, you you invited me on. It was really not going to go any other direction. I'm sorry, Adam. I mean, I, I I wish I could be cool like your other guests, but it's just not. It's just not going to no, happen. No, it's
0: been so good, and it, there's been like, there's been so much amazing stuff. Um, I think we should do a part two. Um, so for everyone Best listening, uh, it's when you're listening to this, it'll be the 21st of December. Happy Christmas, and then I think we'll release one on the 28th as well. This will be a part two. Um, with with Simeon. Simeon, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been great to chat.
1: Oh, Adam, it's been a, it's been an enormous pleasure. It's been such fun. Thank you for inviting me. I'll
0: see you uh, see you next week.